Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who was Philip K. Dick? What are electric dreams? Why do some of the best authors have tragic lives? Hello, and welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno in our 711th edition of uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on Owen1240, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England, Blackstone River Valley. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my father, Paul. Well, uh, today we bring you one of our favorite guests and a sometime co-host, and we welcome your calls. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Or if you'd like to send an email, it's paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Timothy Green Beckley is a UFO and paranormal pioneer. He has been a respected UFO researcher, journalist, and publisher since the early 1960s. In fact, he appeared here on ON 1240 with the late esteemed talk show host Joe Ferrier over 50 years ago to talk UFOs. Aside from UFOs, uh, Tim's life has been uh, pretty haunted, I guess. Uh, he has written over 25 books on everything from rock music to the secret MJ-12 papers. He has been a stringer for the national tabloids such as the Inquirer, an editor of over 30 different magazines. Today, he is president of Interlight Global Communications, whose many books include a brief, um, a few brief contributions by yours truly, I guess. And uh, today, however, we will concern ourselves with the unique American author Philip K. Dick and Tim Beckley's new book, released in May, The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities of Timothy Green Beckley. Uh, Tim, I'm always messing up your websites, so would you, why don't you give your websites uh, out of the horse's mouth, please? Oh, oh okay. Well, the, the, uh, the website, if you want a free subscription. Now, we're one of the few organizations that still put out a printed catalog and magazine a couple of times a year. But you go on over to conspiracyjournal.com and, and uh, sign up, and uh, we'll send you everything that you could possibly want to know about UFOs, the paranormal, and uh, Bigfoot and uh, strange uh, phenomena and uh, anomalies. And uh, if you find that too hard to do, just Google me at Tim Beckley or Timothy Beckley. And, uh, okay, so well, that's me. fair if, enough. If I were if I were on the FBI's most wanted list, they'd have me in two minutes. Oh, I thought you were. Uh, okay. As, a, as the two of us, probably. So, Tim, uh, well, just uh, as Ben would formally say, uh, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. It's great to have you with us again. Well, you know, this is the the longest running relationship that I believe I have had with a uh, with a uh, media outlet or a radio station. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, we go back to the days of, of uh, pioneering radio almost. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Well, I, I have to assure people that you're not as old as the, the dates would indicate. Um, I well, don't. You know, that that is that is hard to believe. It's like sitting here in my uh, my recliner and, and talk on the <laughs> telephone to you from uh, what used to be glorious Manhattan, but now it's just one big skyscraper. I, I often wonder how indeed did I get the, this uh, far? I mean, it's uh, I mean uh, not uh, yeah, it's it's been a career and a half to say the uh, the least. And it has been a career because most people, even though they enjoy the subject of UFOs and, and a lot of the things that we talk about, uh, to make a career out of this is not the most easiest thing in the world to do, but I, I've managed to, to do it. Uh, we started out in 1964 or 1965 with a little mimeographed newsletter called the Interplanetary News Service Report. And in order to finance it, we started putting out uh, 
a variety of different uh, booklets. In fact, we just reprinted from 1964 the first work we ever put out called the uh, Inside the Saucer. Uh, somebody, Rick Hilbert, found a copy in his uh, file cabinet and said, hey, would you like a copy? Because he knew I didn't uh, have it. And he sent it to me, and we had it retyped. and added a few photographs, and I said, well, heck, you know, I'm going to offer this uh, just as a, uh, a collector's uh, uh, item and to see how my opinions and, and uh, uh, all have changed over the course of, uh, you know, it's a half a century uh, now, and it's uh, it's been a leg puller, I can say that. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's get started on our subject there. Um Dan, if you want to start us off. Sure. So, I mean, for people who, who don't know who Philip K. Dick is, who is Philip K. Dick? Uh, well, Philip K. Dick was, he, he passed away, uh, oh, in, uh, he passed away, uh, in March of 1982. He was born in uh, 1928 in Chicago. He was a, a science fiction a writer, uh, very a prolific uh, one, uh, doing uh, starting out with the uh, novelettes, and short stories, that venturing uh, a little bit later on into books. You know, in the early days of uh, publishing, there were oh, I, I guess probably a dozen, if not more, science fiction digest magazines. And for a penny a word, if you were a good writer, you could get uh, uh, published and, and read by I guess anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand. That's probably the average circulation of those publications at the time. Now, uh, uh, Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner uh, two or uh, uh, two thousand forty nine, whatever they call it, of course, is coming out uh, in just a week or two. Uh, of course, that, uh, even though Philip K. Dick did uh, write that particular book, it is based on his uh, concept because several of his uh, uh, books were made into motion, uh, major motion pictures, the Blade Runner being one. The Adjustment Bureau being uh, uh, another one, and uh, my favorite one being Total uh, Recall, which, of course, uh, good old Arnold Schwarzenegger started. And uh, basically what makes uh, Phil K. Dick different from uh, most other science fiction writers is that uh, the majority of those that are in the science fiction uh, field scorn us for believing in anything that relates to the uh, unusual, the bizarre, or the paranormal. They poo-poo us because we believe in uh, Bigfoot. Shame on them. Dog man. Uh, certainly uh, UFOs and anything that might be just a little bit off the track. Now, the reason that the science fiction community does that is because uh, they are uh, very much influenced by uh, influenced by their hierarchy which would be writers like the late uh, Isaac Asimov and Ray Bad, Brad Barry and Arthur C. Clarke, who said that we were all uh, hucksters, uh, basically. Hmm. And, and so you get this attitude, which has seems to have filtered down, uh, even uh, today, uh, into the science fiction community, that all of this is just total nonsense. But Philip K. Dick knew different, because he had quite a number of experiences himself. Now, his major concept is that we are living in a computer simulation, that we are part of a matrix system. In fact, the movie, uh, the movie, The Matrix, is based upon his, well, let's call it theology, if you want, mm-hmm. uh, or, or theories or concepts uh, regarding this computer simulation, even though 
uh, he is not credited as uh, being the author of the work, of course, but that was where the, uh, the actual uh, concept originated from. That's how the uh, so Ch- they, Wachowskis really worked. You know, they took a lot of ideas from people and didn't really give anybody credit. <laughs> well, that's, that's not that unusual, I think, in the movie business. But be that as it may, uh, his main, uh, Philip K. Dick, his main uh, con- uh, concept or ideal was that uh, history is not con- uh, 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 con- uh, it's not written in stone. It's not uh, concrete. And, and, and that uh, we could be living in, in parallel dimensions and, and uh, universes at the same time and not even uh, realize it. Uh, he had a, uh, uh, in fact, uh, it turned out, now, when I did this uh, book, I, I sent around to uh, uh, emails to other uh, uh, writers in the field to see what they thought about this concept. And one of, uh, of course, my longtime friends is uh, Brother Brad Steiger. I call him Brother Brad. Brother Brad, <laughs> but we have been friends since 1967, and I certainly consider him to be part of the... Uh, Interlight Global Communication. Yeah, he'll be on the show early next year. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, in fact, we're having him on our program just a couple of days before Halloween. What a better way. Ah. I can't think of a better way to celebrate uh, Halloween than the, uh, the master of the, uh, the, the pen as far as the occult goes. So anyway, it turns out that Brad Steiger had had quite a bit of correspondence uh, with uh, uh, Philip K. Dick that I don't think uh, most people uh, realize, or if anybody realizes. Hmm. Apparently, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick had taken uh, a test that uh, uh, Brad had uh, uh, published to see if you were a star person. And Philip K. Dick believed that he was one, that he might have, uh, his soul, their spirit might have originated uh, in some other time, in some other uh, place, and that he reincarnated or was reborn uh, here. Uh, and so they had a, a somewhat lovely correspondence. And when I started digging further, I found out that uh, UFOs even had, had played somewhat of a part uh, in Philip K. Dick's uh, uh, life. Uh, in fact, his his wife, Tessa uh, Dick, who we've had on our Going to Bizarre program several times, uh, said that he was actually even kidnapped uh, once by the uh, men in black. I believe in Toronto, somewhere in Canada. I, you know, I don't have the details, but I certainly plan to, to ask her. Hmm. Uh, uh, about that, but uh, just, just let me read a, uh, back in 1977, and this is kind of how it all uh, started as, as far as Philip uh, K. Dick is, is concerned, and the synchronicities and the offbeat things that happened in his, his life. He was delivering a, le- a lecture in France at a uh, science fiction uh, convention, and he was at the, uh, a panel or up in front of the, uh, the, uh, the room at the seat of the table, and you can find this on, on YouTube, the, uh, about a four-minute uh, clip. Um, uh, and he made a little presentation, and this is what he happened to say. This is what he said. He said, people, and I quote, people claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, very different present life. I know of nobody who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is my willingness to talk about it. We are living in a computer program reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration is made to our reality. And because of this, a variable was uh, changed, reprogrammed as it were, and an alternative world 
branch off. Uh, and those are the states. There is no doubt that we are uh, under some sort of surveillance and that an invisible hand has the ability to carve out our existence and perhaps interfere with our daily lives and uh, create a destiny uh, for us, which could be changed. In fact, uh, he had uh, uh, on the uh, Amazon uh, Prime, uh, there is the uh, the band in the uh, high, uh, high Castle, I think it is, yes. which is based on uh, an alternative history that the uh, the Nazis uh, actually won World War II and have taken over the uh, United States and its attempt to the, for the character in the, uh, in the series based upon the book that Bill Cates wrote uh, is trying to uh, escape to a, a safe uh, area and and so now there are a lot of people who think well he was rather mad he was into drugs well. Now, it turns out that according to his friends, he probably only took LSD twice in his, uh, uh, his uh, uh, life. I guess he was in Boston, but uh, that was kind of the culture. He, he lived in, um, I guess, uh, Haight-Ashbury or at Berkeley or somewhere out there in California. They were experimenting, you know, particularly and so forth with drugs in those days. But he was a, a very astute writer, and even if he was a bit uh, mad, he managed to make a success out of uh, out of all of this because most of his books are based on this sort of uh, altered uh, reality uh, concept. And he also uh, had this recollection, uh, a, a very deep memory of living in the time of uh, Christ. And it turned out that he was even able to speak uh, the, the Roman language of that period, which uh, he did not study, and which he did not converse in any other language, but he had instant recall uh, after he had a, a series of events where this uh, very unusual individual came to his uh, door in California, uh, delivering actually a prescription drug after he had an impacted uh, wisdom. Uh, so it's been a very strange, uh, it was a very strange and very peculiar life uh, for him, and a lot of people, I guess, were kind of uh, critical of his methodology and his writing, but he did become uh, uh, one of the most uh, uh, popularized uh, science fiction writers in American history. Uh, now, to say that, and uh, of course, he had any number of uh, synchronicities in his life, and uh, this is uh, something that intrigued me and actually kind of got me uh, involved in researching uh, or, or reading up on on Philip K. and Dick. Because I had, I've had, uh, as you probably know, because I've been on the show before talking about this, sure. I have had any number, dozens and dozens of synchronicities that are just beyond coincidence. I mean, we're not talking about, uh, you know, thinking to somebody in cheese, they call on the phone two days later, or uh, waking up and it says 444 on the clock. I could never quite get into that anyway. But hmm. people always have that. People always have that as one of the synchronicities. Yeah, but anyway, I've had the, these uh, uh, numerous and numerous uh, synchronicities, which uh, are just not explainable in any other terms, except to go back to uh, a, an idea that uh, Charles Sport came up with: uh, is that we are merely pieces on a chessboard, and that someone is uh, controlling our lives. Well, go ahead, Ben. Well, I was, I was. Um I was going to take this in a different direction, but um, if, if you have if you have any follow ups to that, Dad, 
feel free. Yeah, I just I, I'm uh, really fascinated here, Tim, because I, I I'm sorry to say I know even though it seems as though his ideas are almost identical to to ours. Well, I've been telling yeah. you for years you should read them. Yeah, what, what little what little I know I know from you and from Ben. So I can't get over this, uh, these synchronicities, I suppose, in our own ideas. Now, I, I, we believe these things are true. Science now has, uh, physics, physics in particular, has come up with the, the holographic theory, which is right out of, from what I'm hearing, right out of Philip K. Dick's ideas, and, and now it's being uh, indicated as uh, true in, in some way by equations and by experiments, things of this kind. And, of course, the, the parallel life thing, is something we're we've been harping on for for years and for decades. So um, that, I just wanted to observe that 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 that's really amazing. I think Ben, you're right. I, I will listen to you whenever I don't. I regret it. Uh, I will start reading Philip K. Dick's books. And well, I, I I have to I have to admit I have not read that many of his books. I'm not a big reader of novels, and I haven't read that much science fiction since I I was a. Uh, a teenager. I have been more interested in the uh, uh, in his uh, personal uh, life, but through uh, his his wife Tessa Dick and through uh, the uh, critiquing of various people that uh, that knew him, and and that's what I find fascinating. But again, he is able to uh, he was able to take these things that happened to him and, and put them into the uh, you know into uh, into words. And, and come out with some of the, I guess, the, the greatest the works that have been written, at least in this area of um, uh, time travel and um, other realities, other dimensions, the parallel universe. And, you know, he started talking about this, the Matrix and the computer simulation, uh, like I say, back in the 1970s, and nobody had a computer then even. <laughs> I mean, what the heck would yeah. we have known about a computer simulation? Mm-hmm. What was that? I, I, you know, I, I remember back in the late uh, 60s, uh, we were collecting UFO reports and putting them on punch cards. Yeah. Which never, which never proved anything. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember we had good old, good old Jack uh, Robinson. We used to go to meetings uh, uh, every couple of weeks. He would bring us up to date on how many punch cards uh, he had put the UFO sightings uh, onto. But it, it doesn't, I, I mean, it, it turned out that I think there were more UFO sightings at 9 o'clock on Wednesday than any other day. <laughs> but how do you determine How do you determine what a UFO is? See? So what do you put on the punch card? You only get back what you put in. So if you've got 5,000 reports of UFOs, uh, and, and 3,000 of them are, are uh, invalid, you know, they're uh, uh, balloons or the planet of Venus or something, uh, that kind of throws your return data, you know, uh, off the mark uh, a little bit. You know, there's no there's no way of doing that that uh, that I can uh, possibly uh, see. It takes a little bit more imagination than that. But uh, uh, again, we never really, you know, like uh, I, I remember uh, I had a public relations company back in the, in, in those days, and uh, we had this one fellow uh, as a client who was trying to uh, raise funds. To, to come up with a, uh, a gigantic computer that would be like the size of an aircraft hangar that would do all these uh, uh, things like uh, uh, interpret, uh, uh, translate languages, and so forth and so on. And I realized, looking, looking back at the literature from, uh, from this, uh, 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 this company that he had started, that you can now get this on a Kindle. 
Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever right. his ideas were, it's, it, it, it's down to thirty-nine dollars or forty-nine dollars or something on a Kindle. I think, mm. or or on your smartphone, even perhaps a good deal of it. Probably. Well, Ben, Ben's got a, qu- a couple of questions. Well, not questions so much as thoughts. Oh, so it'll probably lead into a question. Well, one of the Philip K. Dick had a very odd and interesting life, as as uh, Tim said, but one of the reasons I suggest anybody who's never read his books should read them is he writes in such a way that, you know, it's not like the garbage pulp fiction things that, like, you know, people were used to reading back in the day, no offense uh, to any, anybody. Um, I wouldn't, I, I don't, I don't say garbage, that's probably the wrong term. Um, more poppy, pulpy kind of stuff, like, let's go to the moon, gang, kind of stuff. Yeah, was, yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's uh, right. You know, one of my uh, 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 favorite uh, publishers, uh, uh, of course, because he kind of got me started in, in all of this, was Ray Palmer. Now, Ray Palmer was editor of uh, Amazing Stories, which was a, a, a little pulp magazine that sold for probably a quarter in those uh, days, published out of uh, Chicago by Ziff Davis which became a, a really big uh, corporation. Mm. Uh, all other things, uh, you know, eight years uh, uh, later. But uh, uh, Palmer uh, published, a ma- uh, uh, was the editor-in-chief of Amazing Stories, and, and they published, uh, you know, uh, some of the early uh, uh, science fiction uh, novelettes. And, uh, uh, of course, he's also the one that uh, was the first to really push the Flying Saucer uh, mystery when Kenneth Arnold had this fighting over Mountaineer in 1947 and was responsible for the very controversial Shaver mystery in which this uh, uh, fellow who lived in uh, Arkansas, uh, Pennsylvania, I guess at that time, uh, by the name of Richard Shaver, claimed that he had actually heard the voices of the demented uh, mutant race that lived underground in the caves called the Zero. And, and Palmer, even though, uh, again, the science uh, fiction community was totally against this and tried to get him fired because they didn't want to hear what they considered to be uh, nonsense, he started bringing in, like, Atlantis and lost civilization in the magazines and UFOs, as I, I, I mentioned. But uh, the uh, a series of uh, articles that he printed by uh, Richard Shaver which were not presented as science fiction, but as presented as a stark uh, rea- reality, uh, got the biggest wave of criticism, even though it boosted the circulation of amazing stories by about 50,000. Uh, and many, many people uh, wrote into the magazine claiming that they had heard the same voices that uh, Richard Shaver had, and they also knew that there was a, a vast underground uh, civilization that had been uh, tunneled out uh, centuries and centuries uh, ago. Hmm. Well, there it is. Uh, I, I'm noting, too, the uh, presence or possible presence of mental illness in this conversation. Uh, my own. On, on my part? <laughs> uh, no, all of us, maybe. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of dear old Philip. Uh, because a lot of the many uh, years ago, when I began to think of this kind of approach myself, you know that uh, the old ideas weren't good enough, and we're probably dealing with multiple worlds and things of this kind, multiple parallel lives. Um, the place where I uh, really got the idea that uh, this is probably true was in w- while working in psychiatric hospitals as a seminary student, uh-huh. and. Uh, 
it's funny. Many of the not all, but many of the people diagnosed as schizophrenic would would literally be living parallel lives. And I think the reason they were in there was because that uh, you know the our paradigm doesn't accept that. And interestingly enough, a number of the, of the doctors who were involved, uh, once you talk to them. Uh, believed that that was true as well, that they really were, because they didn't dare say it, because they'd lose yeah. their jobs or be considered, you know, or end up being patients themselves or whatever. So I just, uh, so if Philip K. Dick was, uh, I suppose, in that category, uh, even to the uh, point of slight schizophrenia or, or that, that sort yeah. of thing, um, I'm wondering if uh, that might not be why he um, was able to see the broader picture in, in life and to think that maybe we're dealing with even a hologram or, or a parallel lives. And because the, the question arises about myself, uh, why did I come to the same conclusion? So who knows? But, uh, there, well, you, you, know what, what's, you know what's interesting, though? And you, you, uh, you can say, well, schizophrenia or some other mental uh, illness maybe drove him to, to write these uh, uh, articles and later in his book. But he certainly became uh, creative at doing it. It worked. It worked uh, in his uh, on his uh, behalf, and and to the uh, uh, vast entertainment of millions of people uh, across the uh, the world. Now, sure. I guess this book has been translated into another language. But you know the the thing which is uh, kind of the the great uh, test here uh, is that many of the of the things that he spoke about actually did uh, come to fruition. Now, uh, he had a a, a vision or a visitation. Uh, by this uh, oh, matrix control system. Okay, Tim, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We have to take our bottom of the hour break, hold but uh, yeah. hold that thought. We'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, broadcasting for the 70th year. <laughs> Excuse me, here in Northern Rhode Island and southeastern New England. We'll be right back with our great guest, Timothy Green Beckley. Stick with us. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Prisnitz. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WOON. It's your business because it is. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON1240 in our beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We're broadcasting to you here with Timothy, Timothy Green Beckley, who is talking about one of my favorite authors, actually, uh, Philip K. Dick, who had a number of odd experiences and kind of a tragic life and turned it all into a, an amazing creative outlet and philosophical outlet that, you know, in, influenced some of, of the major um cultural and, and pop icons we have today so a majority of his books became movies or influenced many movies and you we're we're talking about that now and i wanted to wanted to throw in my my two cents here i think it's it's rather interesting that you brought up the whole idea of living um two lives at once or or whatever that that you know um pk dick said a couple of times in his in in his writings and he actually wrote kind of a book about that shortly after he attempted to commit suicide in uh, 1977 uh, a scanner darkly if anyone's ever read or heard that it's or seen the movie which was actually one of the first movies to be rotoscoped fun fact um it's really a very interesting book because it essentially is about two two main and similar characters 
it's about uh, two two uh, main main characters, and they both sort of follow the same lines. One's a cop, one's a one's a drug addict. But well, hey, you know, I know these things, Father. <laughs> I'm I'm attempting to. <laughs> I'm attempting to say something here. Now I lost my train of thought. My sign language is a little rusty. We have a caller. Yes. Okay. Well, you talk now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I can talk, I guess, if I have to. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I'm I'm really fascinated by P.K. Dick, as as Ben says. We just don't... I, I just have never known much about him, and, and as I've said, uh, Ben is uh, enlightening me, as is, as is our guest, uh, Tim, here today. And uh, we just... Um, I, I don't, well, until we get our caller on the line here, uh, w- w- please continue your thought from before the break, Tim. Well, he, if we can he, remember what it was. Well, he did write a, 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 a book uh, called Ballot, which is all in capital letters, because it stands for Fast Active Living Intelligence System. And, and this is uh, sort of the, uh, the proof in the, in, in the pudding. Because some of the things uh, that uh, people say, oh well, he uh, he hallucinated or he imagined, uh, it came out to be, you know, it came out to be absolutely true. And in one case, actually, it was responsible for saving the uh, uh, the life of his son. Uh, he had had some contact with this uh, intelligence, uh, and uh, during this uh, communication, uh, he was told by Valis or representative of Valis. Uh, that the fact was that his son was suffering from a peculiar type of hernia, which would have, uh, would have uh, killed him eventually if he had been operated on almost immediately. And he, he had all these things. He was very much plugged into uh, life after uh, death, which plays uh, uh, quite a bit of a role uh, in, uh, in this. In fact, uh, this might be hard for some people to believe. He was best friends with uh, Bishop uh, Pike. Oh my gosh! Uh, in fact, well, you know, in fact, uh, Bishop uh, Pike's son committed uh, uh, suicide, and this is a part of actually one of my signatures to me. Uh, Bishop Pike's son committed suicide uh, about uh, two blocks from uh, where I am now near my. Oh, wow. and I, I'm sorry to interrupt again, uh, Tim, but we, we do have a caller, and uh, we we wanted to uh, just take a break here to uh, remind everyone of our wonderful event next week, and Susan Spooler and uh, Willie Miranda, I believe the organizers, are with us? Yes, we are. Oh, oh very good. Uh, great to talk to you again. Uh, could you just, uh, just let everybody know what's cooking next weekend? Okay, Greater New England UFO Conference www.newenglandufo.com. We have we are in Lemonster, Massachusetts, October sixth and seventh, Friday night, six to nine, Saturday from eight until six. We have Paul and Ben Eno on both Friday night and Saturday. Travis Walton, our keynote speaker, is Nick Redfern. Mark Antonio will be joining us. Um, Alexander Petrikov will be joining us joining Nick Redfern and Paul and Ben Eno for Friday night for the Bigfoot event. $10 for Friday night, $25 for Saturday night, same price as we've always had. We want everybody to come. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we've been speaking there for years. It gets more fun every year, and uh, you do a better job of organizing every year. It's just terrific. And so uh, <laughs> that's really uh, we're just looking forward. So everybody, uh, we'll, we'll announce this again at the end. But uh, NewEnglandUFO.com, check it out, and uh, we'll see you there. Fantastic. And Carol LaRock, who's coming down from um, 
way up in northern New Hampshire will be, uh, she, she runs the uh, Lakes Region Disclosure Excellent. Support Network. Uh, Seacoast Saucers will be there as well. Great. I can't wait to see you guys. Better and better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll Absolutely. see you. We'll see, we'll see you on Friday. Fantastic. Wow. Look forward to seeing you guys. Okay. Thank, thank, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Uh, Bye-bye. An East Coast UFO conference. That, that, that's almost a rarity. Oh no! Well, there are some some ones here in New England, and why you ought to be on the docket there. I think I know you don't. Well, my my, my lecture fee is uh, is very reasonable. <laughs> okay. Well, we're we're going to start. I, I wanna, we're going to start oh, lobbying I wanna, for you. All right. Hey, I, I want to uh, interject this something here that, that I'm uh, interested in. It's kind of intrigued me. Uh, there's a a new series that just started, I think, a week ago on the. Uh, uh, oxygen uh, network, you know, on cable TV. Okay, it's yeah. about the rather mysterious disappearance of uh, uh, Mara uh, Murray. Do any of you fellows know anything about that? Back in February of uh, 2004, she was in a minor uh, automobile uh, accident up near the White Mountain. Yes, and uh, she disappeared. I, I mean, the car door was locked, and uh, all her possessions were inside. I remember and that. She just, yeah, yeah, she. She just seems to have vanished into the air. Now, some people believe that she's uh, hiding out in, in Canada or she might have been abduct, uh, abducted and, and met a, a violent uh, end. But I, I'm wondering how close this is to the area where Betty and Barney Hill was abducted. Well, uh, because the, actually, well, that was Franconia Notch, really, uh, or in that vicinity, But because New England isn't very big and New Hampshire is just part of New England. A few weeks ago, we were at the Exeter UFO Festival speaking there, and that, uh, and with Betty and Barney Hill's niece, uh, our, oh, yeah. our good friend Kathleen Martin, who's, uh, been on the show many times. Uh, yeah. so th- yeah, that entire area is pretty hot, as you might say, for strange events. Um, Lemonster, Massachusetts is up in, uh, North Central Mass. It's not far from the New Hampshire border, so that's kind of within range of, of these events as well. And, and that area itself, uh, which, which is actually known locally as Monsterland, is full oh, yeah. of strange lights and Bigfoot sightings. And uh, actually, uh, Ben hasn't been up there with me yet, but I was up there with uh, Ronnie LeBlanc, author of a book called Monsterland. This is back in April. Yes, we've, had a, we've had him on our show, yes. Uh, yeah. Lots yeah. of good material. And uh, Steve McClum as well. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering if any of the the listeners who might have uh, uh, heard about her uh, disappearance uh, knows anything about how close it might have been to the area where Betty Hill, uh, Betty and Barney were, were picked up. I don't. I, I haven't seen that that, that theory, of, uh, you know, ejected into the uh, uh, into the, uh, the storyline uh, to date. Although there have been many other theories of what certainly what uh, happened uh, to her. But it, it's an intriguing case, and it probably have has gotten uh, as much uh, publicity uh, now as any other uh, mysterious uh, disappearance. And, of course, uh, uh, it's near the, you know, the, the forest and all. And David Blight talked about the national forest and the serious disappearances. And uh, yeah, I think seemingly that's... no explanation. And uh, this, uh, this gal, who was very young at the time, she was uh, going to, to West Point, just seemed to have uh, walked off into the night and was never seen again. I think that you know that's a very co- rather common occurrence as they go, but I think that that's a great suggestion, Tim. Uh, something to look into and and pl- perhaps to plan a show on at some point. Here. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Okay, but uh, getting back to Philip K. Dick, um, y- you and I and Ben have done show, whole shows on synchronicities. Uh, th- that's a specialty of yours, and you have some fascinating insights on it. Yep. Um, what were some of the synchronicities in Philip K. Dick's life? Well, uh, well, he, now he did have a a, a couple of uh, incidences uh, uh, where, uh, like I say, he 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 was, uh, ran into people that he didn't. Uh, he hadn't expected to see, or he had written about, and the characters uh, out of the book would seemingly, uh, you know, come uh, come alive. And I know this, this has kind of happened to me over the years uh, uh, too. You know, people say, "Oh, I was thinking of somebody," and they called on the telephone the next day, and that's that's not quite the same thing. Uh, one of my earliest and one of my best synchronicities happened um, uh, back around, I guess it was about 19, middle nineteen seventy. Uh, I was had been invited to speak to a uh, uh, a group of UFO believers in uh, San Francisco. Now, I had never been to San Francisco before in my life, and I was looking forward to going here, of course. And uh, I had a, uh, I guess my talk was on a Saturday uh, evening, and my plane uh, back to uh, the East Coast here, North Airport, was uh, later than usual on a Sunday. I think maybe 4 or 5 o'clock, so... After my uh, uh, talk, the meeting with the members of the audience, that question all day, and, you know, went back to the hotel. And then the next day, uh, hooked up again with the promoters of the event. And we decided since we had, uh, they would drive me back to the airport, uh, since we had some uh, time to uh, uh, to kill more or less, uh, let's go out for brunch because it was uh, Sunday. So uh, we picked a place at, at random. Like I say, I had never been to San Francisco before. And none of the people with us, I think there's three or four people, uh, members of the local UFO organization, uh, I picked a place that they ran and that looked uh, uh, inviting, you know, to have brunch. And so we go into the place, and so we're looking at the menu and ordering our Bloody Mary sauce. And it just as a matter of uh, uh, chit-chatting, nothing formal or anything. Uh, I happened to mention to Dale Reddick, he was the organizer, and his wife. I said, you know, geez, I... Maybe should have planned this a little bit better because there are some people who have moved here from uh, New York uh, that I knew uh, uh, back then, and they're now in the San Francisco uh, area. And I happen to mention a fellow by the name of Alan Vaughn. Now, Alan Vaughn uh, lectured uh, and did workshops for us uh, in the late 60s and early 1970s, uh, just after I had organized the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences, which is one of the first metaphysical uh, schools in the, uh, in the country. And he, uh, I always liked his uh, his uh, approach to the uh, to the uh, the subject. He was a, a, a psychic, but he was also a parapsychologist. He had done experiments. Uh, oh, I think about Monetti's Dream Laboratory, and had been tested by uh, the academic uh, community. Uh, he, he was. A very, and he had a good he had a good sense of humor, and he was very articulate and uh, making presentations uh, on the on the subject. He was one of our our top uh, speakers. But he had taken a job. Uh, he moved from New York to uh, San Francisco uh, to become the editor of a, a, a rather astute uh, a journal that was being published at the time called Psychic Magazine. It was a, a glossy uh, publication with a lot of color photos, uh, probably and, and very well 
I, it, was, it, was, it was more academic than, let's say, Fate Magazine or uh, Exploring the Unknown or some of the other little pulp uh, publications. It was uh, aimed at more of a uh, audience interested in the serious study of parapsychology, perhaps a little bit too academic for the uh, uh, the general public. But it, the magazine was, was very well uh, presented. All the uh, uh, articles were very well uh, documented. There were very uh, in-depth interviews with people, uh, people like Peter Herkos mm. and uh, Gene Dixon. So it, it, it was right up there. Uh, as far as professionalism uh, goes, and, uh, Alan Vaughn was certainly the uh, the right person to edit the publication. Anyway, so we're sitting there, and I'm talking about Alan Vaughn and how I should have called him. Uh, two, uh, two minutes later, the door to the restaurant uh, that we're seated in, having brunch, opens, and who walks in but somebody who looks remarkably like Alan Vaughn. <laughs> and I said, well, this has got to be a uh, I mean, nobody knows that we're at this restaurant, and nobody knows that I'm even in town. I mean, he didn't certainly know that I was uh, in town. And so I, I motioned the fellow over, and I said, aren't you Alan Boyd? He said, yes, I am. And so he <laughs> sat down with us and ordered a beer, and we had a nice little uh, chat. And I, I said, I, I, I had to explain to him, I said, well, I was just telling uh, uh, my uh, friends and associates here why you had moved from New York to uh, San Francisco, and so be uh, be." Beyond working at uh, this uh, publication, Psychic, what else are you working on these days? And he said, well, you know, I'm working on a book on synchronicity and coincidence, <laughs> so I guess this has to be in it. And and so it is. If you can find a copy of this uh, uh, 50-cent little paperback, which I'm sure a lot of you uh, uh, listeners have on the shelf, I can't find mine because I've built a, uh, a loft bed around my bookcase, so a lot of stuff I just can't get to anymore, but... I think it's case seventeen in the uh, in the book where he devotes uh, you know a half a uh, half page uh, to this uh, little uh, incident that happened. But I, I I mean I could go on and on and on talking about these weird uh, synchronicities that uh, happened uh, to me. Now um, a couple of months ago I was with my uh, one of my authors uh, uh, Maria DeAndrea, and we had decided to take a couple of days off to. Uh, go to uh, Atlantic City, which is about a three-hour bus uh, drive, uh, bus ride uh, from Manhattan. Neither one of us gamble. In fact, uh, they they give you, a, a, when you get off the bus in Atlantic City, the casino gives you a coupon that's good for like uh, $25 a slot machine or something like that. And sometimes we don't even use it. But, uh, you know, it's the only place uh, where you can actually get a very uh, inexpensive, very nice uh, room Right on the boardwalk, uh, plenty of restaurants, uh, IMAX the theater within uh, walking distance. And, and on a nice uh, day, it's a beautiful place to be. And it, uh, it, it's, you're certainly not going to spend the money that you would in, in Manhattan looking at skyscrapers. So we take the, bu- we take the bus down. And this is only a couple of months ago, you know. And uh, uh, when you get off the, uh, the turnpike and you get onto the, uh, the local roads, the bus passes on its way to the casino uh, through uh, the town of uh, Atlantic City. And it goes down some of the uh, the sides, the side streets. Uh, when you get within a couple of blocks of where the bus parks the casino, uh, there are other bed and breakfasts, a lot of bars and Dunkin' Donuts and things on the street. And we happen to look up, and there on the roof of one of the uh, uh, local establishments, bed and, bre- uh, bed and breakfast, uh, is, are statues of the Blues Brothers. 
John Bellucci and Dan Aykroyd. I don't. I can't even tell you why they would be. Why these statues or, or figures are uh, human size, made out of some kind of metal, you know, on the, on the roof of this particular uh, bar. Why they're up there? I mean, the, the name of the bar has absolutely nothing to do with it, but it, it's uh, it's uh, interesting, you know. So, um, in fact, I happened to uh, mention to Maria, of course, that uh, Dan Aykroyd had a, a great interest has a great interest in UFOs. And, yeah. of course, he uh, uh, co-authored the script to, to Ghostbusters. And and the reason that he had been influenced so much in his life, and I, I don't know if most people realize this, is that while growing up, his grandparents actually held seances in the uh, in the parlor of the home in which they lived in Canada. He was a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. And about 10 years ago, his father, who was also in show business, wrote a book. On, on the early days of mediumship and these uh, experiences in the Aykroyd household. So that explains uh, uh, Dan's interest in all of this uh, the phenomena that we're all so fascinated with. And, and Mar- Maria agreed. She said, yes, she had heard about this and so forth. So uh, we finish our conversation and we pull into the area where the buses park outside the casino. And when you get off the, uh, the bus, Somebody from the uh, the hotel approaches you and gives you one of these tickets, uh, good for twenty five dollars either for lunch or the slot machine. And you go inside to one of the uh, money cages and you turn over the uh, the paper uh, receipt and they uh, they put it on your membership card. You have to have a membership card, of course, because they want your email address. They want to send you offers in the mail and, uh, by email and all that stuff. But that's fine. Anyway, as we approach the uh, the uh, the cage uh, to give our our, our ticket stub in, what happens to start playing over the speakers in the the room that we're in? But the theme to Ghostbusters. <laughs> now it's not like there's a DJ in the room. Uh, this is like some you know Pandora or something. Heaven knows, uh, you know it, it's programmed somewhere in New York or Minneapolis or. Uh, God knows uh, where the music is coming from, because it's probably playing in, in 30,000 elevators at the same time, right? I mean, there, there's no, there's nobody hosting this. Mm-hmm. And out of 50 million songs, or whatever, how many other songs have ever been written uh, that would have been, been played, why would this one play as, as we got up to the case to turn in our, uh, our voucher when we had just been talking about the creator of Ghostbusters five minutes before. It's not like there was a secret microphone hidden on the bus, uh, you know, somewhere. It's yeah, a very total, uh, secret, yeah, total synchronicity or coincidence. But it doesn't, it doesn't quite end there. Uh, you know, I said to Maria, I said, maybe this is finally our lucky chance, you know, because uh, besides all the synchronicities that I've had, it dozens and dozens over the years, most of them are a kind of what I would uh, contain what I would call the trickster element. They never really develop into anything. People expect that you get some great universal wisdom out of uh, out of all of this. Uh, well, that's not the case. Most of them are just kind of like localized, and maybe they mean something to you, or they're titillating. And it does prove that there is this outside uh, uh, force or controlling uh, system responsible uh, for this. Now, how intelligence this controlling system is, I, I don't know. Is it going on right now? Are we being, uh, you know, uh, programmed by somebody at the, uh, 
the helm of some, uh, you know, a computer uh, up there, or was this all pre-programmed, uh, you know, a million years ago when the Earth was created and it's all on the automatic pilot? Hmm. I mean, we could just theorize about this all night. Uh, anyway, I told Maria, I said, let's check and see if there's any uh, Ghostbuster slot machines in the casino, because if they are, if there is, then this is their their chance to like uh, make us millionaires. You know, we've been we've been promoting their existence. Let's see if they won't help us out a little. Well, it turned out, uh, fellas, that there had been a couple of uh, Ghostbusters slot machines in the casino, but they were penny slot machines. Now I ask you, even if you won on a penny slot machine, what are you going to take home? One hundred fifty nine dollars. So, I don't know, so, I'm not so there a you go. It was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of a slap in the face by the uh, matrix uh, control of, uh, system. Well, Tim, uh, it's amazing. We, we've got about three minutes left, uh, and we can't have you on the show without you mentioning our good friend Joe Farrier. Um, if you just, if we as I say we got less than three minutes, if you could just tell us something about your memory of Joe, who was well thought of in, in this area now, even okay. still. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you this. This is maybe a kind of a coincidence. I mentioned earlier in the program that I had reprinted the first little booklet that I had ever done from 1964 uh, called Inside the Saucers. It's available for like $10 on, on Amazon. And I hadn't remembered even what I had written in the, uh, the book, to be uh, honest uh, uh, with you. I, I remember there was some stuff about a UFO that had... Uh, uh, landed at the Oradell Reservoir in New Jersey. There was a chapter on the Great Pyramid of Giza, uh, an interview with George Fawcett on the 20 years of flying saucer research, and a whole lot of reports from the early 1960s. The first report in the book was a sighting that Joe Ferrier had when he was, I think, still a teenager. Yeah. He was working for... Um, uh, and uh, maybe you know, uh, uh, Paul, maybe you can correct me, a tool and die company, I think it was. Uh, I believe that's in, correct, yeah. Yes, in Warminster, and he had a sighting of several UFOs over the plant where they were working. And this is the first, I, I didn't even, re- you know, I never real, uh, realized, cause I hadn't seen a copy of the book, uh, you know, since 1965 or something. Oh, if I may, that was the, the fair, if people aren't here would know, the, the Fairmount Foundry? Yeah. That's where well, that was, yeah. yeah. You know, okay, well, and, and then, of course, years later, I mean, I didn't know this, of course, I ended up being on, on his uh, program uh, there on uh, WOON, and he didn't talk a lot about UFOs on the show, I, I, I don't believe. I mean, that wasn't the main subject, but he did have me on because he knew me through uh, uh, some uh, uh, cor- correspondence. He had put out a, a little uh, magazine, I think, that started out as Phenomenon and then later went on to become much more polished. The probe, yeah. called Probe. And he took an absolutely phenomenal series of photographs, some of the best that I have ever seen, of cigar-shaped and disc-shaped objects seen over that area. At Cumberland, Rhode Island, yep. Yes, indeed. And if I may plug a book, you can find those in some other engrossing photographs and stories in a book called UFO Repeaters, The Camera Doesn't Lie. That's and right. One of the subjects in there. And, and that you can find on Amazon, along with uh, 285 books that we've now published. <laughs> Amazing! Well, you, you, you just you just 
transition right into where we wanted to go. Why don't to tell us about your books and where people can get them and where people can find out more and give us your website too one more time, yeah. please. Yeah, well, it, uh, again, that's conspiracyjournal.com. If you want to go to Amazon, what you can do is uh, uh, you pull down the thing where it says books and type in Inner Light, that's two words, uh, I-N-N-E-R-L-I-G-H-T, with a dash, Global Communications, and that will pull up like the 300 or 400 titles. I cannot say that I'm the author of all the books, but we published books by Sean Castile, Tim Schwartz, T. Lomsing Karampa, Commander X, a Dragon Star, Brad Steiger, and the list goes uh, on and on. I started doing this. In fact, I, I believe I, I kind of Hugh Hefter was my mentor because we both started on the kitchen table with about the same amount of money. He went on <laughs> to uh, publish Playboy magazine, which had 7 million subscribers. I went on to uh, uh, publish the Interplanetary News Search Report, which had 1,500. But, uh, you know, we each had our own uh, a destiny uh, in, in, in life, uh, according to this uh, computerized system that controls all of this, if you want to believe that. Right. That's it. Well, we're just about out of time. Tim Timothy Reen Beckley, thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to the next time you can come up to the studio, right. do some co-hosting. Absolutely. Love to do it. Always enjoy your show. Okay. Thanks so have much. A, sure. Have thank a you. great day. Hey, everybody, Timothy Greenbeckley. Okay, let's uh, start our announcements here. Uh, first of all, we want to thank the staff at the Brandywine Living in Litchfield, Connecticut, for a lovely day yesterday. We presented at their magnificent facility to a great audience, and they provided some lovely refreshments, uh, so we, which we didn't expect. Very, very nice. Uh, so uh, this Friday and uh, Saturday on October 6th and 7th, we'll be at the uh, Greater New England UFO Conference at Lemonster City Hall in Massachusetts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, one of our favorite uh, events of the year as well, and uh, our subject for Friday night uh, will be, well, it's Bigfoot night, but it will be about the fur flies, Bigfoot, and UFOs, and that will be at 7.45 p.m. And on Saturday at 11 a.m., uh, we will present a talk on UFOs, uh, the paranormal, and God. And you can find information at NewEnglandUFO.com. The cost is only $10 for the Friday program, 25 for the Saturday program. Other speakers will include the great Nick Redfern as a keynote speaker, uh, the guest MC Peter Robbins, uh, international cryptozoology researcher uh, Alexander Petikoff, and our partner in crime Mark D'Antonio, and many, many more. Uh, among the books we will have for sale and signing at that event will be our newest, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, also available on Amazon.com and Kindle, and we will have copies available for sale at all our forthcoming events for the rest of the season. If you can't get uh, to one of those events and would still like an autographed copy of any of our books or my books, uh, you can get them at the show website at BehindTheParanormal.com. And our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. Uh, it's also available at all of our forthcoming events on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. And again, you can get an autographed copy at BehindTheParanormal.com. And a lot of events this month, as you can imagine. October 14th, we'll speak at the Western Connecticut UFO Conference in Danbury, Connecticut, at the library there, along with Shane Searway, Linda Zimmerman, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and other legendary researchers. What do we got next week, Ben? So, next week, which would be... We don't uh, have anything next week because... We do not, because it will be, uh, the WON will be completely uh, dedicated to the annual Autumn Fest events here in Northern Rhode Island. However, it will be worth the wait because we'll be back live on October 15th with British musicologist Melvin Willen on the subject of music and the paranormal. That's about all we have time for. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. 
Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.